Today we play golf. Let me show you how we do it in the pros. Welcome to Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. I never miss with the 7-iron. A conversation with some of the most interesting innovators and entrepreneurs behind the biggest names in golf. My friends were the golf clubs. I lived on the golf course. I lived on the driving range. From Pro Talk. You should learn something from each and every single round you play. To fun from on and off the green. Why would you play golf if you don't play it for money? Just let me put the ball in a hole. This is Behind the Golf Brand Podcast with Paul Liberatore. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. This week, I have my good friend, Rene Delgado from Indoor Golf Shop. Indoor Golf Shop has some of the coolest golf sim stuff around, and I'm really excited to talk to them, talk about how they started their brand, how fast they're growing, and kind of like how they you know, are navigating the market with all the new products that are coming out. So welcome to the show. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me, man. So where do you live? We live... I guess the closest big city is Dallas, but we live in a suburb north of Dallas called Salina. It's about 15 minutes north of where the new PGA headquarters is at in Frisco. So uh, I heard like Frisco is like blowing up, isn't it? That's what somebody told me. They're like, it's one of the fastest growing cities right now or something like that. That's Dude, true. yeah, it's, it's crazy. Frisco used to just be cow pasture and uh, vacant land like 15 years ago. Now it's a city in and of itself um so it's grown pretty quick why do you think the pga moved there just because growing is there a reason <laughs> i don't know the reason is i have no idea yeah i mean look i mean texas is an attractive place for you know to set up shop uh lots of is businesses it? are moving moving out here north texas frisco in particular has got a bunch of stuff i mean the cowboys headquarters is over here mls uh soccer is in frisco i think like the hall oh, of fame wow. is in frisco so there's a lot of stuff uh in frisco in this area in general um i mean that makes sense i i know that, that new facility is supposed to be like crazy big right and like f- like super fancy the pga thing i don't know it's a somebody yeah. might move a pga show there i don't know if that's true or not i've been hearing uh i've been hearing some rumors i know they moved out um so there used to be another show in vegas, vegas that was more yeah. like uh, apparel they moved yeah. that one out here it was just a couple oh, of weeks ago actually was. I mean, it makes sense if they did move the big Florida one. Well, I don't need a lot of real estate for that. And I don't know if they I have mean, that the Florida. Kind of yeah, the Florida one is pretty insane. I mean, yes. Have you been to it? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Several times. It's yeah. cool, though, man. I, I love going out there and looking at all the new tech and everything that they've got, but it's it's pretty massive. I don't know. I don't even know. It's in, it's I don't know if they have the room out everything. here. Yeah. Uh, there's no freaking way, dude. Like you have, you have all that real estate, right? Like all those like yeah. side rooms and whatever, and the square mile under glass and all the other yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, but it's a nice setup. I actually haven't had a chance to like go tour it yet, um, but I've got a bunch of buddies that have been out there, and um, they're they say it's freaking amazing. You know, I mean, they've they've got like tons of like they've got like about golf sim setups over there they've got like full-on putting greens inside with bunkers and short game facilities and all that stuff it's it's a pretty serious uh deal that they put in that's cool so are you a golf pro i'm not a golf pro how good are you not Uh, i used to be good um i used to be decent back in the day but um no, I mean, look, I, I grew up uh, playing golf. I played golf in school. Um, 
now it's funny. I, I play more golf like when I travel than I do when I'm in town. Um, I just, I don't really have the time to play as much as I do. Um, but it's cool to, to hit a couple shots on the sim every now and then. And we've got several of them set up here and stuff. So I always mess around on them. So did you play golf like growing up? Like was your dad into golf or your grandpa or your grandma or what? Yeah, my dad, uh, my dad was into golf and he introduced me uh, to the game early on. So I was probably maybe four when I started playing, you know, and um, I, uh, I'd start to go out, practice with him, and then uh, he'd always take me out with, like, his work buddies. Um, so I, I got into it and got hooked early on, and then I started to get somewhat serious um, when I was, like, 13, uh, 13, 14 started to get lessons and had a coach and all that good stuff, started playing tournaments, but um, I love it, man. It, it's, it's a great sport. Like it teaches so many great principles and values um, that can be applied just in your life in general. Um, and I like the challenge. I mean, I, I like that it was a competition of one, you know, as opposed to like a team sport. Um, which was cool because, I mean, you were the only one that you could blame for anything. Um, but, yeah, I I love it. You play? Yeah, I'm like good, though. I'm like a 15 right now or something, which is good because yeah. I was a 24 last year. Um, I'm trying That's to get awesome. down to, like, single digit. I don't, my goal is to get down to single digit this year. I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I'm trying. Probably next year I'll get there. I went down five this year. Or yeah, I was at twenty, I think, at the beginning of the year. So I went from like twenty-five to twenty, and then twenty to fifteen. But I mean, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to like I practice a lot, and then I think it—it's two things. I think getting lessons for sure, and I think having the right products, like honestly, like the right clubs, yeah. the right length, like getting fitted. Like I know people are afraid of doing that kind of stuff, dude. It's like it really does make the difference because if your clubs are too long, which was my problem, like you're all over the place. Um, yeah. So I think like, yeah, I think that's why I always like products and I love tech and that's kind of why like, I'm excited yeah. to talk to you because about what you, you guys do. So did you grow up in Texas then? Yeah. I uh, was born and raised in Austin. Um, nice. And did you go uh, I did. Yeah, you can see like yeah. the football helmet and the frame and drink up. <laughs> yeah. Go UT. Yeah, yeah, go horns. There you go. <laughs> yeah, man. So I grew up in Austin. Uh, I loved it. Um, I mean, it was a Austin's lot different. Cool. Yeah, it was a lot different when I was growing up. It wasn't as big as it is now, but um, I, I'm a Texas boy through and through. Like, I don't think I'll ever leave. I love Texas, dude. Texas is awesome. Like I was yeah. there, I'm there last year. We went four wheeling in oh, what's that big like ravine like in the middle of West Texas that's like really famous. I don't get the name of it. It's called What? Big I Bend? I don't know. What's it called? It's by it's by uh Amarillo. It's like twenty minutes from Amarillo. Um I can't think of the name of it. We went there four wheeling. It was crazy because all flat, right? And all of a sudden there's just like yeah. canyons. And flatness, and then we went four wheeling in these canyons. There, it was really crazy. Um, oh, seriously? 
Yeah, it was pretty fun. My buddy and I. Huh. I saw a dude flip his Jeep. Uh, I saw a freaking dude with a brand new, like, uh, uh, what's that Jeep truck called? I can't even think right now. Gladiator. Like, just oh, taking yeah. a bam against the side of a mountain and into the shit out of it. It was so funny. Because, like, the gladiator's, <laughs> like, so, the gladiator's, like, so much longer than the Jeep. Yeah. Like, it's, like, two feet longer. And the dude, like, hit this freaking rock. I was like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. I saw a dude blow his transmission on the side of a mountain. That really sucked. Like, literally. Seriously? Like, blew his transmission. They'd, like, pull him down slowly with ch- chains and shit. It was crazy. Oh, jeez. All I did, all I did like, I broke, I broke my Jeep. I fucking broke the like the steering mechanism i didn't even know that but like driving home i drove home dude's 10 12 10 10 hours my my steering was like this like the whole time driving home like i couldn't even like go straight i broke the rod and whatever i can't oh, really? i didn't know i broke the rod my wife would kick my ass if she knew that you saw all of that shit in texas and and you still think that it's awesome oh yeah it's fun i love texas you can get a steak there for like 25 bucks it was crazy and the steak was like big yeah. and good like here would be like 400 you know what i mean just some big oh texas. seriously yeah, it was crazy. I have all these random yeah. stories, but so did you play like sports in college or no? No, no. Um, I, I, I got some offers to like smaller schools to to play golf, um, but uh, I always knew like I wasn't good enough. I mean, I wasn't good enough to be a pro or anything like that. So, um, you know, I. Uh, studied engineering in school and ut engineering. Uh, electrical nice but don't ask me how to change uh a light bulb or do any sort of wiring stuff like my wife hates it i i don't know anything about uh electricity anymore um it's kind of embarrassing I'm do you graduate with engineering degree seriously electrical engineering yeah Dude, that's hard. That's like the hardest one of all the engineers. Yeah. Like, I knew I so many people that like, failed out of it. Up. Like they all like failed out of it and they would go into like electrical engineering technology, which was like the the less math version or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like oh, we're, we're more hands-on. Um, yeah. I know some people filled out of double E. So many Dude, it was, it was a bit of a shock, man. I, uh, you know, I was used to like, I didn't go to a super small high school. I mean, my class was 600, 650 people. Um, but I mean, I, like I did, I did well. Um, and then I got to college and the EE degree and it was like a freight train smacked me in the face. <laughs> like, I remember I, I aced my first engineering test and then my next test in a different class, I got like a 17 on it. Um, and I started to uh, to freak out, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't easy. Um, but I'm so happy and fortunate that I'm not doing that kind of stuff now, and I get to do what I do. Um, so you know, it all panned out. Yeah, I was like, I did aeronautical engineering, and like, it was not like that. It was different, but yeah. Um, so what happened when you graduated college? Did you just go get a job as an engineer somewhere? What'd you do? Yeah. Um, so I graduated and I actually moved out to South Florida, um, to Fort Lauderdale. I I'd had like kind of like a half engineering, half operations job. Um, 
was doing like uh, manufacturing operations uh, for Motorola, actually. Um, so I, I was out there in South Florida for a couple of years and I transferred back to Texas uh, with Motorola and um, was back pretty home. much just, well, I moved, uh, that was back here in Dallas. So I came yeah. back to Dallas um, and then I, I did that kind of stuff. Uh, I worked for Verizon Wireless kind of doing the same kind of stuff. Another regional carrier, uh, U.S. Cellular. Um, it's based in the Midwest, um, and then Beats by Dre, and then Apple, um, and then after Apple, um, I kind of started doing this full time. What were you doing for so, like Apple and Beats by Dre, like sales or like engineering? No, um, so by that point in time, like I had focused more on operations, um. So like forward logistics, reverse logistics, uh, repair, refurbishment, uh, remanufacturing, stuff like that. So um, for Beats, I was essentially, we had a small team, small company, like when I was there. Um, so I was kind of in charge of the reverse logistics uh, globally. So setting up a network in the US, Canada, we had a facility in Hong Kong, Europe, um so i was really really involved and then um when apple bought beats um i kind of got sucked into that uh much bigger organization and uh you know worked within operations over there for almost four years oh wow that's crazy so then how like when like how did you start indoor golf like what happened i uh i was bored actually um so you, you got this was like in, it was late 2016, um, early 2017. Um, so like, I don't know, I'm, I'm the kind of person that has to be like super busy and passionate about what I'm doing, right? Um, I like having a lot on my plate and, you know, I like, I view it as a challenge. Um, so when I was at Beats by Dre, you know, I had a, a, really big scope of responsibility it was exciting i was traveling a lot um you know i had a lot of facilities globally and then nothing against apple i mean i love apple it's a hell of a company um but when you get absorbed into like that kind of a an organization your scope of responsibility goes from this to like this yeah right? so you go from like being in like a startup to like a corporation and you're just like no, exactly you're, you're the guy that does that and you're like and that's oh, it you know I mean, oh, so, you're gonna you, you get paid a lot of money to do less work and yeah it's gonna be the one thing you're gonna do all day and you're like that sucks yeah and yeah. i mean look it like for some people like they love that right um i think for look, me and like you know a lot of entrepreneurs like that's just not the kind of life that they you can't yeah live. you're wired a certain way you can't change that like that's not gonna like you can't undo yeah. that you just can't. So, I mean, it, it was a blessing in disguise. Like, I mean, I, I was really frustrated and unmotivated for like the first three years that I was there. But then um, the last year I kind of opened my eyes and I've always kind of had like an entrepreneurial itch. Like I've always had like side uh, hustles, hustles, um, yeah. you know, and um, so I decided uh, you know, like, I remember when my wife and I started dating. This was uh, like 
12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. Um, the first time she came to my house, I had like three uh, cars. No, I had like four cars in the driveway because my first deal was I, I would I'd buy cars at auctions and then just flip them. You know, I'd buy them across the border in Oklahoma, bring them in, fix them up a little bit, and then flip them. And I did that for a while. <clears throat> um, but she, because uh, like, what the hell are you? Like, what are you, what's what this guy doing, dude? <laughs> you know? Um, She's like, uh, no, nah, I'm not dating this guy. That guy's weird. Yeah. But just like stupid stuff like that, you know, just anything that I could do, uh, you know, to like add value and make an extra buck. Um, so I kind of had that already. Um, I had gotten like into real estate and flipping houses and did you get a real um, estate license. No. Uh, oh, I did that too. I didn't get, I did, <laughs> I did that too. And then oh, I got yeah? a real estate license. Cause I was like, I'm like pay nobody fucking 3%. Like I'm going to get my own license. Yeah. It only cost me two grand and I'll get my own license and I'll make. So my very first house, I just got my real estate license. I bought my first house. And I got like six grand, like free money oh, yeah. by just doing my first deal. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. great. This is before the market crashed. It yeah. was awesome. The first yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, it was fun. It was a little stressful. It was challenging. Like I felt like a little bit out of Super my Super stressful. Right? What the hell is it was, stressful as Yeah, because it, it was all new. Like I hadn't – I'd never done that. I mean like I bought – my primary residence yeah you know like i i bought like three houses before that point in time but um never really flipped houses so um it was like a really steep learning curve and like the first i don't know did you get hard money too yeah well it depends because like we would we would buy we'd buy houses like creatively too um you know, like we would buy houses subject to the underlying mortgage where we'd like step in and like assume the mortgage and stuff like that. But we did buy houses using um, private capital. At 18% and stuff like interest that. compounded monthly. I don't know. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's expensive. But then, like, when you start doing the renos and stuff, that's when it gets like super stressful because the contractors, at least the contractors that like we use, like, they're, weren't super reliable, you know? Yeah, they're on their own so schedule. Like, like, they might not show yeah. up at all, and you got to go like 10 times, and then they're going to show up, yeah. and then they're going to do half the job, and then call another 10 times to finish the other half of the job, but you got to close in so many days, and they don't they don't yeah. care. Yeah, exactly. Not, so that's not what you're the, talking about. That's the stressful part. Bro, bro, like we a had a contractor like, once. We had this, like, old-ass house that was, like, in a really fancy area, it was an old house, right? So we had we remodeled the inside and it had original Saltillo floors, right? From like the 30s. Oh, nice. And this dumbass painted the effing walls and did not put any kind of thing down on the Saltillo. And so when he left, oh, no. we had white paint everywhere, dude, on the Saltillo. You know what it did? It's and it's this guy's such a dipshit. So we didn't know he did this. And then he sealed it. He put sealer over it. So now we had white splotches all over our saltillo so we had to hire another company to come in and like grind all the saltillo down and then reseal it it was like five grand to do that meanwhile oh, you're dude. like you're paying right for hard money oh yeah it was terrible dude that's horrible yeah so we did that <clears throat> we did that for a couple of years uh and everything was great like we 
uh, you know, make good money. Um, and then I had this one house that was like, uh, what's that movie with Tom Hanks? Um, oh, the Money Pit? Yeah. <laughs> we all have that house. That was, that was my yeah. house. That was the house I'm talking about right now. That was my house. The house got broken into all the time. People stole the copper out of it. I was like, dude. Yeah. It was horrible, man. But when I got this house, man, I bought it and it was like on land um, in Austin, uh, like Southwest Austin. I was going to like um, double the square footage of the house. And I was like, man, we're going to make so much on this house. Um, and then like long story short, like we ended up going through three different crews. Um, like the first uh, crew like messed up like royally and just left the property like in utter Trash. disarray. And then some of the permits weren't pulled correctly, blah, blah, blah. Like it was a, it was, it was a nightmare. Like, I mean, super stressful. So then on it, that, you break even. No, I lost my ass on it. Yeah, you're like that, 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 was that the last house? That was the last. That was the yeah, last. Yeah, you're like this. I'm not doing any more yeah. houses, bro. Like after that, that was, you're like I'm not yeah. no effing way, no way. That was the last. That was the last flip. So like now, like even that, like we've got like investment properties. They're like rentals. Um, that's easy. Yeah, but so after that last uh, disaster of a money pit. That's when I started to in look into other things. <laughs> you know, I was like, man, I need something. It's so stressful. A little bit it's less. so stressful, yeah. dude. It's so dude, I knew a guy who like he like took money out of his house, main house, and then he uh like bought a rental and like he was like rental like he essentially at one point, this is before the market crash, he had like 15 rentals dude it was crazy oh, wow. right because and like you know little money down balloon payment all this bullshit and then the market crashed that that dude lost everything he lost yeah like his entire life like he lost all those houses he lost his main house like he lost everything and i was like and that was we we were investing with him in the very beginning and he's like oh, i want to do it on my own i don't want to invest with you guys anymore and we're like all right fine my dad and i good thing dude that fucking, that dude lost millions and millions of dollars like he lost everything like like his main house he lost his main house like it was crazy so it's like that'd be the worst that. yeah like and we were stressed with like that house that people were like breaking into and so i was so glad yeah. after that we were done we didn't do anymore after that we're like this is stupid yeah we'll just we'll not do yeah <laughs> like it, yeah, it sounds all great and everything but it's not it's just not i mean I mean, it will I work. People like point. people like romanticize it too much, and like people get too oh, yeah. obsessed and fixated like over what they see on social media. TV. And oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I made a million like, dollars in this house, like bullshit. Yeah, exactly. But no, nah, man. Honestly, like it was a blessing in disguise because like if that wouldn't have happened, um, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I'd have done it again, and I wouldn't like be where I am today. Like I wouldn't have started you know, the indoor golf shop. So, so then, all right. So you started in 2016. Like how did you start indoor golf shop? So, um, it was actually, so the indoor golf shop was actually like my third, uh, so let me back up. So after like that debacle, I started looking, what can I do? Like what, what can I build 
online, right? So that I could do anything, right? I could work from anywhere. Um, it was like location independent, blah, blah, blah. So um, I came across like dropshipping, right? So <clears throat> I like learned a bunch of stuff and I made um, a couple of like dropshipping sites and stores. Um, like what? What were you dropshipping? Well, like, uh, like the crap. first one, yeah, the first one was crap, right? Just like <laughs> I got, I know a dude who's like, is all excited about dropshipping, and he's like, look, they built me this website, and he like, he showed me, and it was like literally all crap. It was like no yeah. one's gonna buy that. Yeah. So like the first one, like I hated, and I closed it down after a while. Um, it made money, but like I just didn't stand behind like the product. It was just like trinkets, you know, like little jewelry trinkets and stuff like that. Stuff that that you would like drop ship from China over to like the States and stuff. Like Um, you buy it as swap meat pretty much is what it is. Yeah. Like knock off off stuff. Yeah. So then, um, and and those were just like little gimmicky things. I mean like 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. So then, you know, I started doing a little bit more research and it's like, well, it probably takes the same amount of work and effort to sell something that's $2,000 as much as something that's $20. Right. So then I started looking at, well, what are like high ticket items that I can, you know, drop ship essentially. Um, And so funny enough, like the first store that I did like high ticket items um, was, it was like outdoor uh, outdoor, like play equipment. So I had a store, it was called the bounce house store. It was just bounce houses, right? Residential and then commercial bounce houses. And then, yeah. And then we rebranded it to the outdoor play store. Actually, the website's still there. Like it's on the back burner. I haven't done anything with it. But I think that that store has a lot of potential when I apply the resources to it. Um, Yeah, now you know what you're doing too, right? Because like six, seven years later. And it did, it did really, really well. I mean, like in 2019 and then 2020, there were months where that store did more than the indoor golf shop. Um, So the potential was there, but we didn't do like the indoor golf shop. What we did so well. Crushed it, dude, during COVID. Could you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that we did do well, but then we ran into supplies. We indoor golf shop too, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Anyways, I mean, that, that store, like, it's still there. It's, like, it's on the back burner. Um, if we vertically integrate that store and move away from drop shipping, like we've done with the indoor golf shop to where, like, we manufacture our own stuff, um, it's got a ton of potential. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, that store did well. And then shortly after I launched that one, I did uh, the golf shop. So it was uh, shopindoorgolf.com, which is the indoor golf shop. And it's something that I've always been passionate about golf. Right. And I just kind of happened to stumble across it because I bought a SIM um, right around the time that I started this thing. And it was just a pain in the ass to go and find information and resources um, to be able to like educate myself to make a decision and then ultimately buy the product. Like there wasn't a one-stop shop place where you could get information and resources and then also buy buy and then get like the support that you need to set it up and then troubleshoot and all that stuff. So, um, that was kind of like 
the pitch that um, I gave a lot of the technology manufacturers was, you know, I'll do the legwork. By that point in time, like I, I'd learned a lot about digital marketing and how to build a website and code and all that stuff. So we would do all of like the heavy lifting on the marketing and e-commerce side of things um, and then support the customers. So um, fortunately, we got a couple of them to agree. And then um, so who, who initially came on board? Like who was your initials? You know, so Skytrack was like Skytrack was my first one. Um, they're our first one uh, and biggest one. Um, True golf, and I'm assuming. Yeah, True Golf was there. Um, Foresight, uh, you know, like Ernest Sports, OptiShot, um, Unicor. Funny enough, actually would not let me in uh, when we first uh, started. Um, so Unicor. Unicor has like taken like the US market by storm. Um, it's really great hardware uh, product out of Korea. Um, but when they when they came to the US, like nobody knew who they were. Um, so it took them a little bit of time to, you know, like really start to take off. Um, so that was like 20, I want to say like 2019. Um, I started to have conversations with them. And by that point in time, we were already like top seller of several like technology manufacturers. Uh, but Unicor, funny enough, like they wanted us, um, they wouldn't let us in unless we committed to buying and prepaying for like 20 or 30 units, like right off the get go. Um, and I mean, to me, like, it's a lot of money. Makes sense. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but also like it's, it's a lot of money. Then. It's not like it's a thousand bucks. You know what I mean? You're right. talking about like 30, each, each unit. Grand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, what what I had to do was um, I told them, look, I'll I'll sell your twenty or thirty units. I'll buy them at retail if you don't want to give me wholesale initially, just to show you that we know how to move the product. So we would just bundle it with our packages and our soft goods and make money off the soft goods. Um, you can put the margin on that. Yeah, but now, I mean, we're their biggest reseller uh, by a lot. Um, we love the product. I mean, we've got great relationships with Unicor and all of our other technology partners. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of how it started. Um, just drop shipping. Uh, drop shipping was easy. It was scalable. It didn't require a lot of overhead. Um, but it's or also space, right? or space. But then for those reasons also, you know, it's low barrier of entry. So anybody can do it. Right. Um, if, if, if these well, drops, like the margin are not as good though, right? Like even still, if you're getting a, I mean, a wholesale or a little bit above wholesale, like let's just pretend for the unit, the margins aren't there. I mean, they're, they're not there to scale. It's there to make up. You can make money on it. Right. But like, yeah, like I think what's cool what you guys are doing is like you make your soft goods. Right. And like, that's, yeah. that's a real differentiator. Yep. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, so that's, so that's what we did. So like, uh, we started drop shipping and then, um, had a couple of really good years. Uh, and then like, I, I'm really big on, 
kind of like forecasting out and trying to see like where the demand is going to be, like what it is that's going to differentiate. Um, like one of my biggest mottos is like adapt or die, right? Like you always have to be innovating. You always have to be adapting. If you rest on your laurels and just like sit on your hands, like it's a death sentence. Um, so having like that kind of mentality I was like, okay, what can we do different, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to just be like a dropshipper, right? So the next thing we did, we started, we started to like become distributors. So we take possession of product, get a little bit more margin. We would do all of our fulfillment, value added, like research services, like repacking and stuff like that. Um, and then we did that for only like a couple of months, and then we started to get into like manufacturing. Um, so it was like significant investment in manufacturing right because you've got to you've got to do uh capital equipment you need space overhead you need uh subject matter experts that know what they're doing and that stuff um but we also get to kind of control our own destiny and um you know we we own the supply chain right and that was like one thing that really opened my eyes was coming out of covid Right, because COVID, the demand was there. Like, I think it fast forwarded our space like two or three years um, into the future. Like, it was always kind of trending up, but then COVID hit and it just went gangbusters. Um, but supply was an issue, right, during COVID um, for lots of different reasons. And, yeah. you know, coming out of that, I was like, you know what, like, I've got to. I've got to control as much as possible to mitigate the supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. Mitigate supply risk in the future. Um, so, and it was like, well, what do we manufacture? You know, do we want to like get into tech? Hell no. Like um, that stuff is so complicated and people have already spent millions upon millions of dollars to like do that stuff. Oh, Even if we yeah. were to try it, like there's no guarantee of success. It's a money pit. Um, so soft goods. Soft goods was, yeah, soft goods was the way to go, right? So it's like, well, shit, what do I know about like making a screen or an enclosure or a putting green? You know, I didn't know any, like you're talking about getting into the textile business. It's textile manufacturing, right? So we started from scratch. We brought in an SME, um, you know, they, they started to bring on uh, industrial uh, sewers and we got all the equipment. We got uh, CNC cutting machines. And we've got these big machines are like 15 by 37. Um, they're like the opposite of an air hockey table. They like suck the fabric down. And then you've got your programs uh, and everything. So everything that we make is digitized first. And it's repeatable and reproducible, right? So if you've got a screen that's a template, 16 right. by 10-2, you just get the material on there and it cuts it out every single time. So it kind of went hand in hand with like some of my prior experience too, like on the op side and manufacturing and stuff like that. Um, but that was like a huge, huge, like fundamental shift for us, right? We went from dropshipper to distributor to... Uh, full-blown like manufacturer and it opened up a lot of doors for us um, not only did we get like margin expansion 
in that we made the goods ourselves so we didn't have to go to the middleman um but we could also start getting into like contract manufacturing services so we could manufacture products on you know for other people we could like private label products um for other people uh and that's what we started to do so it it kind of opened up new revenue streams for us right we used to be just a hundred percent direct to consumer and it led to us kind of tapping into this b2b network uh with contract manufacturing and then indoor golf facilities and, and stuff like that um and the customs too right like people coming to you for a custom yeah. or whatever it's like there's big money in yeah that. Yeah, part of our business too is is that custom stuff. So I mean, like the high end design and build. So we do like design and installation uh, in Canada, the U.S., and then Latin America. But every single one of those jobs is completely different, right? Yeah, because um, all custom. Yeah, it's all custom. Different. So the ability, I mean, our our team does such a good job. Um, you know, we've got a team of designers that do the two D and then three D renders of the space that then gets translated over into like a production plan. We manufacture everything. Um, so it's a really good seamless, like integrated process and people are getting exactly what they want and they see it before we actually make it and then install it. Um, but yeah, all, all those like the automation, the equipment, um, that's all helped us tremendously to be able to scale, scale and like keep up with everything. So you guys grow a ton then, huh? Yeah, um, we grew, we grew pretty quick, uh, pretty fast, um, which like was super quick. An, super quick. Yeah. So, I mean, like it, and that was something too, like you kind of learn, you learn, it's trial by fire. Like you learn on the job, right? Don't we you know? learn? Like, I mean, there's like no, when you there's go, no, there's from, no book for this. It's like, yeah, you there's have no to books. learn. You have to fail on something. Yeah. You got to reassess. You got to try it again. It's like, just, yeah. I don't know, troubleshooting. But there's like, like, yeah, and it sucks, but it's fun, you know, um, at the same time. But like going from like a million to five requires different people, different processes, uh, different expertise. Then you go from five to 10 and it's like the same thing, like, you know, the people or the processes, the ways that you did things to go from one to five don't apply anymore when you go from five to 10. Then 10 to 20, you know, 20 to 30, it's like the same kind of thing. You need more systems and automation, like the bigger that you get, more processes to be able to scale and do things consistently over and over and over. Um, you know, but like we, we started, it was just me and then me and my wife. Um, as late as like early 2020, uh, it was just me and my wife. And now, is that when you're drop shipping got, and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, between the U.S. and Canada, we've got 60, 65 people. Um, so yeah, we've grown. We've grown really quick. I mean, a lot. Most of that's like direct labor, like manufacturing and then distribution, and uh, because you're doing more stuff, stuff, you weren't. Yeah. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I mean we we grew super super quick. So I mean um and and we're we're continuing to grow, which is a good good trend. It's a good thing. Um which just kind of validates that like 
what we're doing and the vision that we have is sound and you know it, it's working because um, that that's that's the hard part too um, is not to grow too quick because growth sucks up a lot of cash right um, there's a lot of capital investments and and things that have to be uh, like you got to buy a lot of shit. Uh, in order to be able to support the growth, not only that, yeah, but like then, your stuff, and stuff you're buying is not cheap, right? This machinery, it's, it's like you're yeah. investing in big stuff. Yeah, the machinery is not cheap. Um, I mean, the the human, we've got human capital. I mean, uh, that's that's not cheap. We offer uh, like full benefits to all of our employees and and all that stuff, which is nice, but it's not cheap. Um, you know, we need a lot of real estate to be able to like operate. Um, so like we we actually we just closed uh we bought the commercial property that uh we operate out of um like three months ago um oh, wow. so yeah so we've got you know like seven acres and fifty thousand square feet of like commercial space and like a new showroom that we're building um which is great right long term i mean that that's a great investment um but, but it's not but it's not cheap and it it's sucks capital. up a lot of money you know yeah and time so, and a lot a lot of time to figure all that out right like it's and, not and stress and attorneys and they like their money um yeah, i right but uh but no man like you know like we we've built a really solid kind of business and we've got like the best team in the business too um you know, everyone, like everyone that's here and it, it wasn't easy, you know, cause culture is a big thing at the indoor golf shop. And we've got our set of like core values that have a golf spin on them. Um, yes. And it took a couple of iterations to get the right people with the right stuff that would gel and fit in and had the same beliefs and everything. But now we've got a really sound team that we can um, leverage and just continue to grow and build off of. So um I'm excited to see like how we continue to kind of like trend forward and what what the future holds for us. But um, I think I think we're just getting started. Well, I think it's really cool because like you know, there's probably let's say a handful, and that's being very generous of like brands that are doing it right in that space. You know, and I think like everyone's kind of edging to see who's going to be the top dog, right? And I think what you guys are doing yeah. is all the right things. So like I think you're poised to you know really do like a lot in the next couple of years and i, I mean i know who your competitors are like it's it's yeah. pretty for me it's pretty easy to figure that out but like yeah. it's like interesting because it's like everyone has their strengths and weaknesses and it's like kind of like you were saying before it's like you know being able to invest in the capital invest in this future of the brand and it's not just oh we sell product like we sell sims or we sell you know uh launch monitor or whatever it is it's like being able to be like a one-stop shop really yeah and say oh we can do the custom or we can do greens and we can do this and we can do full like the whole nine yards and you're like oh yeah we also sell that but like we still sell those units but that's just that's just one piece of the pie right that's not yeah. that's the brain it's not the whole room um right and yeah, I think like a lot of people are trying to move towards that yeah. I mean, look, I, I think there's there's been a lot of consolidation in this space and there will continue to be consolidation in the space. 
Um, I think if you look at like kind of like the industry and who's doing well, those that I've vertically integrated are doing well. Um, you know, it's it's so important to be able to control your own destiny as much as possible. And, you know, we there's so and, many different and facets. You can't sell of, shit. That's the other thing, too. Like you can't sell yeah. like, you know, like, oh, yeah, here's our seven thousand dollar one. And it's like they think it's exciting and they get it and it's shit. Right, like oh, this, yeah. is, this is grass and shit, and the 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 screen breaks right away. Like you're hosed at that point. Like you need to yeah. like be able to like stand behind that product and be like, oh, that's really a good deal for seven grand or ten grand or fifteen grand or whatever you want to yeah. spend. Um, I I think you're seeing a lot of, well, I've seen recently like a lot of people are trying to come down on those kits. Let's call it like like let's get the most bare bone thing, but it's like buyer beware. You know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. is that really good kit? Because like that Skytrek ST Plus is three grand. So what do you think of $3,500 units? The $3,500 room is going to be like, I mean, there's yeah. only so much money there. Um, right. And I think by you guys like putting the infrastructure in place, be like, like we're making all this stuff. We're not just buying it from somebody else and selling it. Yeah. And be like, hey, here's our kit. Yeah. And, that, and that's like, you mentioned like a really good point. Like I've always hated to compete on price. Like, I think it's, that leads to a race to the bottom and everybody loses, right? So, like, we we never really strive to be the cheapest. Like, we don't strive to be the most expensive, but we're, like, kind of like a premium uh, brand. You know, we're not the Lamborghini, but we're not the uh, Kia either. Um, but, yeah, like, product is everything. You have to stand behind your product. Like, our screen material, nobody has it. Um, it's a proprietary blend that we worked with a mill with, we have exclusivity on it. Like nobody has it. Same thing with our hitting mats, our hitting mats. Nobody has our hitting mat. Like we made that hitting mat from scratch. Um, and if you look at like all the reviews and then like all the alleys that it's like garnered in, in, um, in the public and from other people like my golf spy and, um, hackers paradise and stuff like that, like the product is good. Um, so when you couple that with, you know, like the level of service that we provide our customers and the education and the support and the help that we offer, like it's a unique combination that not many others, if any kind of provide it, you know, cause it's, it's, it's about the whole journey, right? You have to, you have to excel at each step of the customer journey, pre-sale, post-sale, um and like a misstep screws you you know like it it only takes one bad review to completely mess you up um so we're really big we're really big on the customer like i'm like always in the customer's favor like always 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 do what's right for the customer like put yourself in their position and do what you would want done like you know, if we're talking about like arguing over a $50 or even a $300 like deal or a mishap, no, like do what's right for the customer. They're the ones that keep the lights on. And so like, they're going to come back that's too. Up. That's the thing. Like if they buy a cheaper yeah. one and they're happy with that for a couple of years and then now they're ready to buy the next one, if they have a good experience and they're like ready to upgrade, they're going right back to you. I mean, like that's, that's your, that's your card. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's been, I mean, that's been tough, right? Cause I mean, 
it's hard to kind of like write an SOP on that too. You know, like when we talk yeah. about like scaling and like uh, yeah, defining things. It's yeah. hard. I wouldn't know how to write an SOP on that. That's the culture. And that, and it yes. comes from the top down. That's all it is, yeah. right? Like you can't instill that. It's just, that's our mantra, right? Or that's how mm -hmm. we do it here. And, you know, yep. you can have SOP for production or, you Yeah, know. exactly. But, I mean, it's crazy. Like, because you guys sell a lot of stuff, dude. Like, you don't, like, you're not, you know, because some brands only sell like, oh, we only have four companies we, you know, make the Sims with. It's like, you have everybody pretty much. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't see anybody and that we don't, don't have. And we don't really, I mean, and we don't sell all of them either. I mean, like we get approached quite a bit to sell like different technology and different stuff. And like, unless we get our hands on the product and we stand behind the product and we believe in it, like we are not going to sell it, you know? Um, so we're, we're really selective, right? Because if we're associated with it, we're, Kind of putting our reputation yeah, on the line too. Yeah, if you if you sell it and they have problems and it's really it has nothing to do with you guys. It's just a shitty whatever it was, laser or light or whatever it might be. And it's like, well, now what? The guy's stuck with a four thousand dollar problem. It's like, we'll send it back to us. We'll swap it out. And now you're the one like pissed off because now you're losing money at this point because you got to send it back in and get it a you know whatever. RFI, yep. what do they call that? Return for, yeah. Return, you know. RMA. RMA, yeah. You know, and it's like, do that once. Okay, do that twice. We're not working together anymore because your stuff's garbage. And you're, that's, yep. yeah. It's like, you, yeah, I've seen that too. I mean, yeah. You're only as good it's as tough, man. That's right. That's right. Well, I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. Like, where can people find your store? Yeah. So, um, we're primarily e-commerce. Um, so our website is shopindoorgolf.com and that's where we sell, um, a lot of our like done for you golf simulator packages. Um, we also sell like DIY components like screens, turf, putting greens, things like that. And then our custom brand, um, is in home golf. So if you go to inhomegolf.com, that's, the division within our business where we do the high-end design and build um it can be both for residential and then for commercial customers as well um and then we do have physical showrooms um in toronto canada newark new jersey south florida and then here in dallas as well so if people are local uh to the area or within driving distance they can always stop by and take a look at the actual product that's awesome well, I'm ending. You guys are doing a great job, and I think you guys, honestly, if you guys are on the market of wanting to get a simulator or on, the, or just trying to get information to figure out what simulator to get and why, like, there's a ton of free information on the site. Like, they're breaking it all down for you. Like, obviously, they want you to buy from them, but like, they're also consolidating it so that you can make an informed decision regardless of whatever you want to do in the future, which is cool because a lot of people don't, don't do that. They're just trying to sell you something. So you really have to go and check them out because it's legit. Well, thank you for being on the show today. Um, I really appreciate it. I hope to have you back on again in the future. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Happy to be on.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. You're going to beat me at golf? Stay connected on and off the show by visiting golfersauthority.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Golf is always more fun when you win. Stay out of the beach and see you on the green.